0: All right, Goal Achievers, let's do it! Hey, this is Hal Elrod. And that was deceiving. My let's do it energetic, like, wow, Hal must be feeling great. I'm still a little under the weather. I'm still a little stuffy. But I am excited. I'm fired up. Because today, our guest, I know her well, pretty well. And uh, we actually just had her speak at the Best Year Ever Blueprint. In fact, she had the honor of being our very first speaker. So you can imagine how much thought goes into the individual that we are going to put on stage to give the audience the first message, the first experience that they have of the entire weekend. If that's not enough of an introduction, I'm going to give a formal introduction here in a second. But if that's not enough of an intro for today's guest, you'd be like, wow, this person must be super special and an awesome communicator if uh, Hal and John trusted her to be the opening speaker at the Best Year Blueprint. Well, yes, that is all very, very true. And the message today, the conversation I should say today, this is about the three words that will change your life. And I'll ask you what happens when you achieve everything you thought would make life fulfilling, but then it doesn't. And today's guest is Emily D. Baker. And her and I are going to explore how three words can change your life and set you free. And Emily is a legal consultant for purposeful female entrepreneurs Empowers her clients to actually understand the advice she gives them instead of leaving them more confused than when she started. And in the legal field, right, that can happen. She helps entrepreneurs to have common sense documents that will both protect their business and make total sense to everyone involved. After serving as a deputy district attorney in Los Angeles for ten years, having threats on her life, I know that much, and getting ever so slightly burned out, Emily struck out on her own to pursue the glittery badassery that's all her own. The women entrepreneurs she now empowers through her legal expertise appreciate her blunt, no nonsense, get shit done approach that is coded in support and love. And I'll tell you, Emily is the mother of two. She is a professional archer in her free time. Maybe she'll tell us about that. Coffee, DMX and Pokemon are her love languages. And the impact she is committed to is to arm entrepreneurs with legal knowledge they need in order to focus on what matters most. And today we're going to talk about those three words that Emily is going to share with you that will change your life. Emily D. Baker, welcome.
1: Thanks, Hal. I'm so excited to be here. And I, I'm i so excited to be on this podcast because podcasting, before I found my three words, podcasting was one of the things that made the biggest change in my life because it's what I listened to, uh, to and from work when I was like, why am I doing this again today?
0: (laughs) That was your personal development
1: vehicle? It was. It wasn't. I didn't even realize it was personal development at the time. I was like, personal development is not something that's discussed in legal. Like you are so into what you're doing. Personal development is like woo woo weird crap. It's not something that is thought of or talked about. It's becoming more talked about because people are like, oh, I need to market better. I should do some of this development marketing stuff. But a few years ago when I, I first found you on a podcast and pulled over to the side of the road. I know we talked about this when we first met in Chicago, but pulled over to the side of the road and bought Miracle Morning on Audible on my phone while I was like maybe 10 minutes into the podcast I heard you on. And that kind of started this journey of, oh, there's, there's other people who have been through this. And your story really resonated very deeply with me. Like, oh, there, there are other people who feel knocked sideways by their life. Um, and though it was never a car accident, my job took a huge toll on my health. And I had complete adrenal fatigue. Um, and as I was recovering from that, herniated my back and had two back surgeries in one year. So hmm. the whole, the emotional stress, the mental stress, the physical stress, it all kind of knocked me a little sideways.
0: Well, and then you started diving into the world of personal development. And that was kind of the game changer for you, would you say? or
1: That was absolutely the game changer. I knew I needed to make a change. I didn't... And to be perfectly honest, I'm going to just be really real. I felt like an asshole, like a total asshole. I was like, my life is really good. And this is exactly. I went to law school and spent like a hundred plus thousand dollars to get this degree to do the job that I'm blessed enough to do. There's no better job than standing up for victims of crime and giving them a voice and like fighting the good fight in court every day. Like it's, they make TV shows out of that stuff. Yeah. But I was miserable. And I've got a great husband and two kids. I live in a beautiful area, overpriced, but beautiful. (laughs) And I wasn't happy. And I felt, I really did. I felt like a total dick for not being happy. I'm like, I have everything I've ever wanted. What is going on? And that's when I started searching for other answers and starting to look inside myself. But I didn't do that until I started to find things like the Miracle Morning, where I'm like, oh, other people ask these questions and find answers both internal and external answers. And that's when I started really searching. Um, I came to Chicago. I had missed the first best year ever because of my back surgeries, but I came to the Chicago event and started meeting people from all walks of life who were asking these questions. And I felt so wrapped in community that that was when I started going, okay, what what other questions can I ask? What other, what other questions can I ask about my life? And these are people who weren't asking, where is my career going to take me? It was how can I serve the world? How can I make a difference? How can I live my best life every single day? How can I have those front row moments? And I'm like, these are better questions than what I was asking. But they didn't sink in because I had to change myself a little bit first. Because even though I started asking the right questions, I didn't internalize it yet.
0: Well, I want to go back a little bit before this. So you are a... I know about you that you're a Division One athlete and you play D1 water polo. At Harvard, for lack right? There's a a story behind that.
1: There's a story behind that. I actually played at UMass Amherst. um, And I talk about this in my TED Talk because I I was really challenged by learning disabilities uh, going through school. And I had very smart friends. And the people who played water polo were very smart. I always felt like an imposter. Mm -hmm. I always felt like I was barely scraping by. Um, Had a really hard time reading, remembering. um, Really struggled with attention deficit. And... And never quite felt good enough. So when I I tried to prove myself through sport, which was aggravated by the fact that back in the '90s there were not very many women's water polo teams. Um, so I played on the men's team in high school, mm-hmm. and at five six, by my senior year in high school, everyone else was like six four. <laughs> mm-hmm. So as I'm trying to prove myself, I was also kind of tearing up my body a little bit. But I went to UMass Amherst and. Um, I kind of talk about in my TED talk the being on the Harvard campus is somewhere I never thought I would be, but that is the game where I ended up injuring myself, and that kind of threw my life in a different direction.
0: Was that the end of your water polo career? It was.
1: That was the last water polo game I ever played.
0: Got it. Okay. And then talk about after that. Yeah, I wanted our audience to hear about the knock on your door in 2000. I think it was 16.
1: The Harvard game was the first knock on my body because I wasn't listening. When your body tells you it's in pain that's meant for you to listen to. So when I injured my shoulder, um, I became very, very depressed, which is why later in life as an adult, when I was struggling with being unhappy, I was really afraid of it. And people who have been through major depressions, it can be really scary to start feeling unhappy again. Um, it can be really scary like, oh, this was really bad last time. I don't I don't want to do this again. Like, I don't sure. want to go down this road again. It, it's, It was frightening. And that had come from losing my water polo identity. I was... I was the girl who played water polo. When you're the only girl on a men's team, Mm -hmm. you kind of stand out and you have this whole identity. Like I punch people in the face. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So then I decided I wanted to go to law school. While I was recovering from my injury, I met my husband and I was like, I want to go to law school, but I'm not sure. He's like, look, I have seen you argue your way in and out of everything. (laughs) I think this this feels like what you want to do. I'm like, I'm not smart enough. He goes, why do you think that? and started really questioning me on why I thought that. And I started finding ways to study better and worked really hard to get into law school. And I knew I wanted to be a district attorney when I went to law school. So I got that job and it was shocking because when I interviewed for the district attorney's office, the district attorney at the time, Steve Cooley, was looking at me in his office and like triggered all of my insecurities. And he looked at me, he's like, well, why should I hire you? I have thousands of applications. We're taking up you know, 200 people. You are not the absolute top of your class. You didn't do some of these things. And I was like, I am the hardest worker you will ever meet. Juries will absolutely love me. Mm-hmm. I communicate well. And I'm going to come back and interview every single year until you get sick of me and just hire me. <laughs> I'm also really well versed in fraud, white collar crime, computer crimes. And and I, I'm ready to do this. And I got hired um, after my first round of interviews, became a district attorney, and started working my way up, doing everything from pimps and hoes and gangs and drugs and fraud and embezzlement and eventually murder cases. And that is where the knock on my door comes from, um, from a murder case I dealt with. That still, there's still times I get choked up talking about this case because it it was a mom who was killed and she was killed because her daughter was a victim of the crime Hmm. and the defendant tried to silence the daughter and killed her mother. It didn't silence the daughter. He is serving life in prison without parole. But we did three trials on that case, me and another prosecutor. We convicted him in the third trial and when the conviction finally came down, the courtroom just exploded. There was so much tension between The defendant's family and the victim's family, the crime had taken almost 10 years to prosecute from um, the actual homicide because trials take a long time. There were three of them. So by the time he's finally convicted, there was a lot of built-up tension. During this trial, I was pregnant with my now six-year-old and I had really difficult high-risk pregnancies. So I was sick um, and I had to go to the bathroom a lot. But the (laughs) judge this lovely judge refused to let me use the bathroom in the back of the courtroom because I might seem like endearing to the jury. I might accidentally interact with the jury. I'm like, I'm a professional. I, just, I'm, I happen to be pregnant. <laughs> I just have to go to the bathroom. I just have to go to the bathroom all the time. So I had to use the public restroom. Um, I got followed into the public restroom by the defendant's family on more than one occasion. So then I had to have like a police escort to go to the bathroom, which is kind of mortifying. Like, just, you know, to have your male detectives have to escort you to the bathroom.
0: Yeah.
1: It just doesn't, it just, it was mortifying to me. But um, after that case, you know, we got rushed down the back stairs, escorted out of the courthouse. The jury had asked to be taken out of the court um, court through the back after the verdict came down because they had a sense that this was how this was going to go. The defendant's family got into a huge fight with the victim's family in the courtroom, in the hallway, and then again outside the court and the defendant's mom at some point in that made threats against me and my family. So when the police knocked on the door that night, I was sitting on my couch and my husband's like, hey, hon, there's like police car in the alleyway. And I'm like, yeah. So I know we talked about the case and we talked about the verdict and the jury had been deliberating for five or six days. So we knew a verdict was coming. I hadn't told him about the threats yet. Hmm. And my four-year-old's asleep upstairs. And I'm sitting on the couch in my living room pregnant. And I'm like, what am I doing with my life? Um, and the cops are like, what happened? And I gave them the whole rundown. And then everybody who changed shift that night came by. I live in a fairly small town. So everybody who changed shift that night came by and knocked on my door and was like, what happened? Because at the time, there were two district attorneys that lived in my community. So, you know, the cops knew who we were. And I was prosecuting at my local courthouse. Um, so I, I kept relaying the story and, you know, in law enforcement, there are times where you know you're doing your job well and listening to jail calls and hearing people call you names, you're like, I am doing my job well because I'm pushing all of the, their buttons. Yeah. And sure. when you get death threats, you're like, I know I'm doing my job because someone wants to kill me. And in this moment with my two kids at home, it struck me that that was maybe a bad measure of success.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay.
1: This is maybe not the metric I want to measure my life. And when I was a law clerk, I was working in crimes against peace officers with a lovely attorney um, who had done some very high profile cases, but there was police protection on his kids to get them to school safely. And my 20 something year old self law student was like, that's amazing. And I still remember it because I'm still horrified that I had these thoughts, but I was thinking that's amazing. Like, you do your job so well. Not only do you have protection on you and your house, but your kids have police protection. As a parent and as a mom, there, there's no way it would get to that point for me because I'd be like, I'm out. I'm out. I'm I'm out. My kids, I'm not doing police protection on my kids at school. Like, I am out. And there are plenty of DAs and such good district attorneys who go their whole careers and this doesn't happen um, and who are safe. And it's very rare that district attorneys are harmed or killed but you still have to be constantly vigilant. And um, there are so many people who do this job so well, it was time for me to take a step back and let other people do it. And I, I hedged back a little bit and started doing more of the fraud cases and, and changed out of the blood and gut stuff as, as my kids were young. But when my health stuff started going, I realized that I just was unfulfilled. Not... When you try to make yourself smaller in any aspect of your life, it really starts to eat you up inside. And that's not being in trial and not doing those kinds of cases was me playing smaller. And I had to find a stage to play bigger. And I had to start figuring out what that looked like because my identity was wrapped up in being a district attorney. Like I went from, I'm the girl water polo player to like, I'm a district attorney. Mm. So trying to wrap my head around being something else. I'm like, I was, I remember telling my husband after back surgery, I'm like, I feel like if I'm not a DA, I'm nothing. Like I am actually nothing. So,
0: so quitting that, was... <laughs> that profession was not an easy thing for you, obviously.
1: It was not. And it wasn't just leaving a profession. It's leaving a lifestyle and it's mm-hmm. leaving a group of friends. I lost yeah. a lot of friends in that process. Um, I I maintained very few of my of my DA friends when I left the DA's office. And it's it's hard and it does make me sad. But I did what was right for me and my family. And now I serve entrepreneurs and in court when you would put a witness on the stand who wasn't thrilled with you, you'd be like, hey, I know I'm talking to you in front of all these strangers about horrible stuff that's happened in your life. Um, can, we're just going to go ahead and talk about that. And sometimes they'd be like, you know what? Fuck you. I don't want to talk to you.
0: <laughs> I,
1: I don't like you. Um, I'm not talking to you. I'm not saying anything. I'm not, I'm not saying anything. When I deal with my entrepreneur clients, I get, oh my God, thank you. I don't know who I could have asked. You've made this so simple. You've made this make sense. I feel like I'm in charge of my business. I feel like I'm so powerful. And I get to use my gifts to fulfill people in sharing their gifts. I get to help entrepreneurs protect what they're building and creating online so that they can go and do good and serve others. And so I, I've found a way to change that, but I had to change myself first. And that was really dialing in the three questions or the three words and and asking myself who who am I? Because I kept saying to my husband, like, I'm nothing. If I'm not a DA, I'm nothing. And he's like, Well, you're something. You just need to figure it out. I'm like, how do you even figure out what you are?
0: <laughs> yeah, let me ask you here here's a kind of a pivotal question, and I think it's applicable to a lot of people listening. How can you effectively shift your whole life and more so your identity from employee or professional employee, you know, to small business? entrepreneur, a small business owner, or you know, whatever word somebody is gonna resonate with, or title or identity, new identity they're gonna take on from employee to entrepreneur though in general, how do you effectively shift that?
1: It is an interesting shift. And the thing I found was asking one, asking better questions. Um, and the first question I asked was why do I feel like I am only this job title? And I kind of trace that back to this is what we're taught, like in school and in society. You know, you go to cocktail parties and people are like, what do you do? And when you're a kid, people ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they want you to be this job title. Yeah. And so I realized it was so ingrained. Like, what do you want to be is not, it shouldn't be a job title. So I started getting kind of angry first. Like, this is BS. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to ask my kids, what do they want to be? I'm going to tell my kids, you need to decide how you want to be when you grow up. Do you want to be adventurous? Do you want to travel? Do you want to explore? Do you want to build robots? Like, how, what do you, how do you want to be? But how do you want to express that? And so I started asking myself, how do I want to show up in my life? Not what, not identifying myself in this little lawyer box, like I'm this one thing. Cause none of us are one thing. We're all so diverse in so many things. So I realized I had to dial into my essence and my core and figure out how I wanted to show up in my life because that gives you the freedom to do anything. It doesn't matter if I'm an entrepreneur or if I'm a speaker or if I'm mom. I, I change so many hats in a day. Uh, my identity is not connected to my production, how much money I make, to you know any of that. It, it's whether I'm being authentic to who I am and asking what those words were. And the words resonated with me because I started doing these values exercises. Like What do I value? And I'm like, that's not it yet. I haven't gotten to how I want to show up. Because when I was asking myself, who am I? The thing that kept coming up in my head was I'm nothing. And so I'm like, okay, I can't keep asking who I am because I'm not there yet. So now I need to it's, figure out my future self. Like, how am I going to show up and be my ideal self? And that's what I started asking. So I started asking myself what those words would be. Like, how do I show up in my life as a future self? And during this time, I was doing a lot of personal development because I was recovering from back surgery. So recovering from a spinal fusion, I didn't have much to do, but like sit in bed and scroll through Instagram and watch YouTube videos and listen to audiobooks. And all of that kind of fed into figuring out how I want to be in my life. And for me... Part of what I loved about being a water polo player and a DA, and now even with archery, is there had to be some component of badassness in my world. And it's funny because when people meet me, they're like, nope, that fits you.
0: <laughs>
1: mm-hmm, <laughs> that bitch, mm-hmm. badass, is a, badass is a fit. And then I had to figure out what the parts were that were stifled in my career. What was I holding small? And that was kind of my shiny and sparkly. So I came up with shiny, sparkly, badass, um, because it encompassed all of me.
0: Those are your three words.
1: Those are my three words. Um, And I, I had leaned so far into the badass. I was a very, very like television written district attorney early in my career. It was only black suits, pearls, short, like sensible hair, nude nails. I was very much playing the role of a district attorney because I had such imposter syndrome from being like the dumb kid growing up. I was so like these people are going to figure out that I am not as smart as they are.
0: <laughs> so was it was your plan of attack for that to just look as much the part, so to speak, yep. if you could? Absolutely. Look
1: gotcha. the part and no one's going to question it. Like I've got my serious suit and my serious heels and and I no one will question me. And they did all the time. And I met other DAs who, there are so many DAs with so much personality, especially in Los Angeles. And I was always envious. I'm like, damn, I want your hot pink stilettos, but I, <laughs> I don't feel confident enough in my own ability to really let my whole personality shine. So I really felt like I was playing a role. And as I got later into my career after having kids, I stopped feeling that way. Um, and I was transitioning and growing into my own ability as um, just as an attorney and as a human as we get older and started expressing more of my personality. But court still has a lot of rules and you still can't be all of you. I almost got fined once by a judge for being funny. Um, <laughs> and when you get fined, you you have to report yourself to the state bar. And he was like, Miss Baker, he pulled me off the sidebar and was like, you need to g- get your checkbook and bring it into court. Because if you make this jury laugh one more time, trying to be funny, I'm going to fine you $1,200. And I was like, your Honor, I'm not, I'm not trying to be funny. I just, I just am. I wanted to be like, I'm just amazing. <laughs> and these people are bored and they have nothing to do but sit here for days and look at my face. That's all they can do is sit here and look at me talk. I have inflection. I tell stories. I am a storyteller. So it's not my fault if they think it's funny. But I, love it. <laughs> I didn't end up getting fined, thankfully. You didn't but, get um, fine. Good. I did not.
0: <laughs> I want to. I want to take one step back and make a comment, and then I want to ask some questions to dive into these three words. You know, in terms of I want to explore the three words and what's the value for someone to do this exercise, and then I'd love you know you unpack. I know you, you might you may have just said it in your story here, but unpack how you figured out your three words. You know what that does for you, so we can break that down for our listeners. Absolutely, to your three words. Um, but first, I just wanted to comment on something that you said, which is. When I asked you about how you effectively shift your whole life and identity from being a professional employee to a an entrepreneur or a small business owner, you talked about looking at how do you want to be. And what I love about that is, like for me, you know, you referenced it in the realm of kids. You know, Mm not asking kids what do you want to be when you grow up, but how do you want to be? What I love about that is, it's like for me, I want to set my own schedule. You know, set my own hours. Right, I I freedom. Like I value freedom arguably above almost anything else. And so to me, that's where entrepreneurship became the path, right? It's like, I want a life of freedom where I get to do what I want, when I want, with whoever I want. I also would like no ceiling on my income. And then it was like, oh, wait a minute, check, 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 check. Oh, I'm supposed to be an entrepreneur, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, you know, oh, that's what I'm so, I didn't realize that, you know, I didn't know that was even a career choice when I was young. But yeah, so I love that being kind of the guiding question around what do you want your life to be like, your days to be like? And then you build a career around that versus, what career do I want? And then, you know, going right. there.
1: We're taught to do it the wrong way around. We're taught that you follow this path and you go to school and then you work really hard to get into a better school and then you work hard to maybe get into a better school and then you work hard to get this job and then you keep working hard to get this promotion and then you work hard to get this other promotion. And for what?
0: And then you realize, like, for hey, what? Your <laughs> I'm like,
1: We're taught the wrong way. We're not taught to pick how we want to live our lives. We're taught to work really hard to get a bunch of money so that when we're in our 70s, we might be able to travel. And I got really pissed about that. I'm like, why didn't anyone tell me I needed to pick my life first? Yeah. What I wanted my life to look like first, because this wouldn't be it necessarily. And now I have the freedom to do passion projects. I'm actually on a tear today because there was uh-huh. a client came to me with a website that's reselling courses from all kinds of entrepreneurs. And they are ripping these courses, it looks like from the back end of websites and then selling them for like $49. So like Lewis House's like $2,000 courses up there for $39 and they're selling all these courses. And I am like on a passion mission to take this website down. I'm not charging my client for it. And I'm hoping to take it down for all the entrepreneurs because I get to do that now. I still get to do what fires me up and not worry about whether I'm getting paid to do it. I get to follow my best life and still do good. And this is one of the ways I can do that. And now that I got to pick how my life looks, it doesn't matter what my job title ever is because I love the way my life looks. And some of that is working for Disney Cruise Vacations. Like, I'm going to be straight up. (laughs) I want to go play Pokemon with my kids. Those are things that are important to me. And my kids are only going to be little for a little while. And I'm noticing that now that my 10-year-old's almost 11, he's sassy and he's becoming like a tween person. And it's a lot of fun, but I also feel that clock ticking that that's only a few more years till he's ready to start living his own life, not under my roof. So picking my life first... And then making money. You can make money, guys, doing anything. Making money is not the issue. It's figuring out how you want to live and then making the money to support that.
0: Hmm. Yes. Will you say that again?
1: Yeah, it's figuring out how you want to live and then making the money to support that. I mean, Thanks. Tim Ferriss talks about it a little bit too, right? You Like with the four-hour workweek stuff, he was like, look, if you want to live location-independent, yeah. Just make it happen because you can live in Guatemala way cheaper than you can live in Southern California.
0: So the money <laughs> you
1: think you need isn't really what you think you need. And joining the entrepreneurial community, I've met people who are schooling their kids in all different ways from unschooling and homeschooling and wonder schooling and moving into an RV for two years and exploring the United States. Yeah. There are so many ways to live your life. The way we were taught is total crap.
0: Yeah. So pick your life first. Yeah. And by the way, if you're listening to this goal achievers and you are like, all right, well, I'm not in the beginning phases of my career. Like I'm not I'm not in the I'm not in the picking phases anymore. I'm I'm ten years in, forty years in, whatever. It's never too late to change, right? It's never too late to reinvent yourself. Actually, let me say this. It's never too early, but it's definitely too late, meaning don't wait. Like, right, like, too late. Like, don't wait. It can definitely become too late. You can wake up in five years and go, damn it, why did not I do it when I listened to that podcast with Hal and Emily? (laughs) Um, So it can't be too late, but it's never too early. Like, there's no time better than now to reinvent yourself. And billionaire Gary Keller, founder of Keller Williams Realty, is famous for teaching that you can change your life radically. Essentially, you can create anything you want in the next five years like no matter where you are right now, if you want to be worth $10 million, you could do it in the next five years, right? If you want to change careers, you do it in the next five years. If you want to start a business and have it succeed and pay you, know, you passive income, you can do it in the next five years. If you, if you want to create passive income so you can retire, you can do it in the next five years, right? Yeah. And while the number five years is arbitrary, I think Gary makes it less arbitrary because he breaks... I haven't heard him talk about it in a while, but he, you know, he breaks down why, <laughs> you know, why that is. Like A year to really like, study and learn something a year to get a huge project off the ground, a year to iterate and perfect it, and then a couple more years to grow it where you want it to be, right? Just matter what your age is. What well, Colonel Sanders, right, with a famous story of mm-hmm. me was like 65 when he started KFC and you know became a multimillionaire. Yeah, so you're never too young and you're never too old.
1: It's uh, absolutely never too late and I think You don't even have to, your radical shift might not be like upending your life and quitting your job. And I realize that's not practical for everybody. You can still change how you show up and how you feel about it. I was afraid to ask for vacation. If I was still working in my job, if it still worked for me, I'd be like, y'all, it's four. I'm out of here. Like I'm on salary. I'm going to work and be productive and do what I need to do. And I'm going to take my vacation and get out. My attitude about working would have shifted if I was still in a you know typical job. So when you decide how you show up, you can say, I'm going to show up and be the person who is uber productive. I'm not just going to fill out stupid things. I'm not going to sit for three hours in meetings. I'm going to be productive. I'm going to do my job and I'm going to get on and live my life. And you can decide how you want to be without upending your job. You can decide how you want to be and start your side hustle and let it grow over the next five years. You get to pick your life. And nobody told me that. Why didn't anybody say, honey, you get to pick how you do this instead of go to school, go to school, go to school, get a job, get a job, get a job, get a career, get promoted, retire, die. Like that's a shit way to live.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I do not disagree. Um, So let's close out the podcast today with some action for our listeners by unpacking how you figured out your three words and make sure, you know, and reiterate too, just the importance of like, what's the value of someone listening, doing the exercise you're about to give them? So what's the value of somebody finding their three words by you unpacking how you figured out yours and then breaking that down for our listeners so they can do the same?
1: Absolutely. So the importance is asking the question, how do you want to be? And it's changing the core of you and really reconnecting with the core of you because when you're not outcome determinant or success determinant, or your identity is not hinged on a job title, you have the freedom and flexibility to choose really choose your life because it takes the ego out of it. Like it feels really good when people are like, Ooh, you have this fancy job. But once you decide how you're living, that goes away because you're honoring yourself and your true individual. And the feedback I get on this from people who do it is always so powerful. And when you listen to this and do the words, please share them with me. I love celebrating you really getting connected to how you want to show up in life and know that your words can shift and change as you shift and change. So the first thing that I did was really start exploring what I missed about myself, like the parts of my personality I felt like I was hiding. And I felt like I was hiding my shiny and my sparkly. But then I was saying asking myself, what do I love about myself? What are the words others might use to describe me that I really love? And people who meet me generally say I'm kind of loud and kind of a badass. (laughs) And and I love that. And I was like, I do love that. And there's this other part too that I'm clearly not sharing. So I did some journaling around it and um, you guys are, are here to knock out your goals. You are the kind of people that are already identifying what's important to you. So identifying what's important to you isn't gonna be hard. Take five minutes and evaluate what do you wanna bring in to your future best version of yourself and what do you love about yourself? And just write those words. I just got a big sheet of paper and started writing words. And then as I narrowed it down and took a minute to reflect on it, I was like, what jumps out at me? It's these three words. And you might be sitting here listening to this going, I know exactly what these are. Um, In my TED Talk, I actually invite people to explore, is it adventurous or irreverent or silly or loud? I mean, what are those words that would define how you want to show up in life? And then what I did with them, and this was a um, Brendan Bruchard uh, suggestion, he talks about setting alarms on his phone and making your alarms work for you. Mm -hmm. I set my three words as phone alarms Mm. because it's my check-in with myself, whether I'm authentically being me. Like Mm. when my shiny, sparkly, badass alarm goes on, I'm like, oh you know, I'm in my head about something or I'm not honoring that or it's not shiny, sparkly, badass to not stop working at four and go hang out with my kids. Like, (laughs) what does it mean to me? And then I check in with myself if I'm living authentically with that. Um, At Best Year Ever this year, uh, Dr. Sean was talking about your goals kind of being the destination. And it really resonated with me that the words are kind of the thing you're kind of working towards in the future. Like, you're constantly saying, am I, am I showing up how I want to show up? And it gives you a way to check in because then it doesn't matter how much money you made today or if you worked out or, or any of it. What matters is did you authentically honor yourself? Everything else can stem from that. And when everything else stems from that, it's okay sometimes if maybe the huge crazy goals you set you didn't hit because you're still reaching for that future best self. It gives you a constant destination so you're always moving forward and evolving as a person.
0: Mm. In a minute, I'm going to ask you, I'd love some examples of other people's three words that from people you've done this exercise with. I just want to share... Kind of personal experience with this, and this is pre Emily D Baker experience. So, um, (laughs) and it's only one word experience. So, it's about to become three times better here as I join our (laughs) listeners in implementing what this exercise. But you know, for me, I defined my purpose in life in two thousand and four. I believe to selflessly add value to the lives of other people, and the word it really is selflessness. Right? That's my word. That's my virtue. It's my value. It's my purpose. And it has become so central. I mean, that's been, gosh, what, 14 years ago. And to this day, that one word drives my behavior, you know, maybe more than any other, in that every day, every moment, in any conversation with anyone, I'm backtesting the word against my behavior or my actions, or I'm using the word to set my intentions. Right, And it's always my underlying intention. So if I'm engaging in a meeting with someone, Always thinking of how can I selflessly add value to this person's life? Like, I want to make sure that I'm adding as much value as I possibly can. And in doing that, you know, I feel like that has been the secret to my success, if you will, is by always looking to add value for everybody from my wife and kids to clients and customers to, you know, prospects to business strategic partners, right? The idea is that that word became who I am and it's who I'm known for, right? It's like, oh, yeah. Pal, he's always trying to figure out how he can add value for me. And so I like doing business with him or working with him or, you know what I mean?
1: Right. I so. think you see it because what you see, and for people who haven't been to Best Year Ever, it's time to start thinking about next year. But you, <laughs> you see can get it tickets you... right
0: now at <laughs> Just Throw that in there.
1: Perfect. Uh-huh. Um, you see it at your event that's different from other events I've been to, as most of your speakers, and this is unique to your event, most of your big keynote speakers stay. They stay and engage with your audience. They stay and engage with you and your community. And that's because they get so much value from being around the community that you create, that they stay and give back. The way that you show up, Hal, allows other people to show up that way too and selflessly show up. You don't find events like that where your keynote speaker two hours before is sitting at a table journaling with people. Um, I vividly remember Chris Ducker was doing this this year. Joe Polish was doing it last year. They were gotcha. there for the whole event and engaging with the community and the process and working through what the other speakers were talking about. And that is just an outcropping of the of the selflessness because other people embrace it and run with it. And they do that out of love for you because you add so much value to them.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you for that. And, and I have heard that before. And one, well, obviously, I've seen it firsthand, but I've definitely heard a lot of people say how, you know, wow, no other event. That I go to where, yeah, the speakers there, like Dr. Sean Stevenson, was, you know, he yep. was there a day and a half before he spoke. He was there in the audience the whole time, right? And yeah, so uh, that is a really special thing. All right. So, uh, last but not least, any examples for people, kind of thought joggers of like what are some of the three words you've seen, or even just individual words, and we string them together, but that you've seen of people that have used this exercise?
1: Well, I'm going to thought jogger you. Did you pick three words at Best Year Ever?
0: Yes, and I have to... This is my <laughs> fault. They're written in my best forever binder, and I was looking oh, for it. Oh, Hal! Put them in I the show notes. <laughs> yes, I couldn't find it before our interview. I'm like, yeah, so yeah. You, you step, yep. <laughs> so yeah, so I apologize. I cannot remember my other two words, but it's I all right. Do the exercise. and so, yeah. This is
1: why you put them on your phone, you guys, because you're integrating new behavior. And so when it is integrated into you and you remember it, it will actually become ingrained the way that selfless has become ingrained for Hal. The words that people share with me are half like the thing they love about themselves and half the thing that they hide about themselves. So from women, I got a lot of bold, loud, authentic, um, and a lot of themes around adventurous and free spirited and, and things that people want to embrace, but maybe feel like they shouldn't because they maybe feel like that part of their personality is too much. It's not too much be you. And it's just finding a way to say your three words in a powerful, like I say, I am a shiny, sparkly badass. That is kind of the core of what you get with me. I've met people who are like, I am a confident, self-sufficient traveler. Hmm. Awesome. Awesome. And especially for women that, you know, traveling alone can be a little scary. So I hear people talking about their empowerment and owning themselves and embracing all the quirks. So, you know, if you are a nerdy, adventurous Pokemon trainer, be it. If you are an empowered, successful, loud (laughs) adventurer, be it. If you are a healthy and kind, authentic human, be it. So those are how you pick. And please, please share them with me. I let everybody slide up into the DMs on Instagram. So seriously, you guys, send me your words. I want to know and I want to celebrate with you. Is your Instagram words.
0: the best place to share those?
1: Oh, Instagram is so fun. I love it so much. I should not be on Instagram as much as I am, but I uh. am the Emily D. Baker on Instagram. And... Yeah, it is, it is my favorite place to have conversations. I just, it's so easy to have conversations there. I love it.
0: <laughs> awesome. So the Emily D. Baker? Yep, the awesome. Emily D.
1: Baker. That was part of me owning myself this year was um, was saying, you know what? This is what it is. I am, That's me. I am the Emily D. Baker. I'm actually going to write it into my speaker agreement so I start getting introduced as the, the Emily D. D.
0: Baker, Baker when I
1: come out to my... I was going to my, I'm uh, gonna give it to you. <laughs>
0: To X gonna give it to you. It's gonna give it to you. Not, not. Yeah, Emily comes out to X Gonna Give It To You by DMX, and her dance moves are right on point. Emily, like I've told you every time, I freaking love when you come out to that song. It makes me so happy. In fact, it makes me so happy too. I was actually, it was just probably two days ago before I crashed my car. I actually thought of you, and I literally, I thought of you, and I pl- I'm like, play X Gonna Give It To You by DMX, and I freaking listened to the song. Awesome. And it, it's a great, it's a great it's just a great song. And I,
1: I mean, I will, there was a time when I was working um, in Long Beach with a number of my friends and there were probably four DAs in a Prius because, you know, there were four DAs rolling through Long Beach in a Prius, bumping gangster rap. And, um, you know, it's just, it's, I, we love it. I love it. My friends love it. And there's nothing like, you know, four DAs bumping through downtown Long Beach in a Prius. Uh, to gangster rap, I've got that visual. <laughs> I
0: like, I've got the visual. I'm not letting it go. I love it. Awesome. Well, Emily, I uh, absolutely love you. What is the best way for people to get in touch with you? What's your website? We got obviously what your Instagram handle, the Emily D Baker on Instagram. Yes. Where else to get a hold of you?
1: The Emily D. Baker on Instagram. And then my website is just www.emilyd.baker.com. Um, I am there for whatever you guys need. If you are running online businesses, I am there to help you and to empower you. If you just want to follow along with the journey, Instagram is the best place to do that. But if you do run an online business, you can hop over on my website my email list. I keep you guys up to date with all the legal stuff that keeps changing in the online world because it's constant.
0: Yeah, it is. And take it from me in terms of, you know, better safe than sorry. You want to have dig your well before it's thirsty. Harvey McKay, like one of the most important things to do. And when it comes to legal, don't mess around.
1: I talk Uh, about building the moat before you build the castle because people will come to burn that crap
0: down. Yeah, that's a great, great, great analogy. So, well, Em, appreciate you. Love you. Um, I love you too. Thank you. Thank you. Goal achievers. I love you guys and gals. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Achieve Your Goals podcast trying to think of anything timely is going on right now. We do have the advanced reader team that we just launched for the newest book in the Miracle Morning series, The Miracle Morning for Couples. Create legendary connection one morning at a time. co authored with Brandy and Lance Salazar with Honoré Quarter as always. And yeah, this is a great book. If you're a couple, you're gonna love this one. So go over to miraclemorning.com forward slash couples, A-R-T. Couples plural, and then A is an advanced reader team, ART, miraclemorning.com forward slash couples ART. And if there are still some spots on the advanced reader team, I can't promise by the time this goes live because we launched it today and this will go out in like a week or so. Um, <laughs> but uh, check it out. So, goal achievers, love you, appreciate you. Emily D. Baker, love you, appreciate you. And I will talk to everybody next week.